Hi, I'm Mark Scott, Secretary of the New South Wales Department of Education, and welcome to Every Student, the podcast where I get to introduce you to some of our great leaders in Australian education. And I'm here today with Fiona Kelly. Fiona is a proud Barkindji Numpa woman, and she's the executive principal of Menindee Central School. And Menindee Central School is a remote school in far western New South Wales on the Darling River. And Fiona's students are aged from kindergarten to year 12, and 71% of the students at that school are Aboriginal. And Fiona came from Menindee. She grew up in Menindee and attended the school that she now leads. And there are strong community links at that school based on mutual respect. And her school results show the academic and well-being results, you know, high attendance and student retention. And she's determined to build great pathways into work and study for the students at her school. So Fiona, can you tell us about your education journey and how you ended up principal at your alma mater, Menindee Central School? What's your journey to that job? Well, as you said, I'm from Menindee. Um, I'm the eighth of 10 children. Um, so, and I went to school in Menindee. Yep. Um, when I was in year five and six, I had this teacher, um, and he was an amazing person. What was the teacher's name? Mr. Brown, Graham yep. Brown. Graham and, Brown. Um, so I had him for the, both years, and which wasn't so uncommon in the small schools then. But he was, he was the catalyst for me becoming a teacher. Yeah. He was the person that, like, he he was firm, really firm, but fair as well, and he was the one who pushed me to achieve beyond my expectations. Um, and what, was, do you, what do you think he saw in you that that made him say you can be a teacher? I I guess I was always concerned about other students mm-hmm. um, in the classroom, and quite often I would help others who who wasn't able to do the work, and which he got me to do sometimes. Um, but also he just he looked beyond my shyness because I was really shy. Yeah. Um, just like I am today. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he he looked beyond that and. He, he saw that it wasn't that I didn't know the work, that, you know, that I was really capable whenever we had our tests and things. Yeah, he could see that well. I, was, I did well and, and he just wanted to keep pushing me. And did you always do well at school and in your family environment was doing well at school prioritised? Yeah, yeah. Um, mum, mum, Dad died when Mum was, um, pre- was pregnant with the ninth child. And um, so she had to work three jobs, and so her her words to us was that you had to get get up, you had to go to school, and if you know, like if we got into trouble or anything at school, we got into trouble again when we got home. Um, So she was really strict on school and expected that we, you know, go and do the right thing. Um, And also, she had this expectation that we would go row up and get jobs um and you know we there was never any thought that you wouldn't get a job so that sense of high expectations that we know is really important for every kid in every learning setting that was part of your upbringing from the beginning yeah yeah and so it's 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 great you had an inspiring teacher and it's 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 interesting how many great educators can pick the person that really set them on their way but it's a long way from a teacher in fifth and sixth class to being principal of Menindee Central School. Tell us about your journey through high school and then university. Well, so Mr Brown came to see Mum one time when I was in Year 6 and I remember him pulling up at the front and looking at the window and thinking, what's he doing here? I didn't mm. <laughs> mess around today. Uh, yeah. I was good at school. You know? call, yeah. yeah, which wasn't common back yeah. in those days. Yeah. And um, he actually wanted to send me, um, he wanted Mum to send me to a school down here in Sydney somewhere, I don't know where mm. it was, 
and he he wanted to apply for a scholarship for me. So I didn't want to go. Mm. <laughs> um, one of my older sisters, um, I've got six sisters, and I talk about them lots, um, and Marie, she said that if I did come down here, she would um, transfer with her job and come down here as well. Um, but the thought of, you know, a 12-year-old coming to Sydney, I, d- I just couldn't comprehend it. And so my friend was going to St Joseph's in Broken Hill um, mm. the following year, and I said, well, can I just go there? And, um, yeah, he thought that would be a good compromise, and so I went to St Joey's. Um, and, well, that was a culture shock. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, at Menindi, there was, you know, we had about 150 kids at and least you knew, 50%. You knew everyone, right? Yeah, and at yeah. least 50% of them were Aboriginal. Yeah. We went into St Joey's because the sister who's just older than me, Michelle, she came as well. And we went to St Joey's and there was about 250 students, um, 15 might have been Aboriginal. And so we copped it. Mm. We copped it every single day about being Aboriginal. You know, every derogatory name you can think of, we were called. And, and that hadn't been part of your experience. You hadn't no, experienced racism no. at Menindi. No. Yeah. And so that was... That was hard initially, um, but you know I, w- I was able to think, well, that's their problem. Yeah. You know, they're the one, they're racist. That's their problem. So I, I was able to ignore it. Um, Did you develop resilience oh, through that experience? It, it was. You know, as hard as it was, it was really good for me mm. to learn. Good because there's a lot of people who'd given up things and you know who'd supported us being in Broken Hill. Like it, my sisters, a couple of them pl- uh, paid you know, for the board for yeah. us because we stayed at a hospital. And could you see, I mean, you were resilient and you've got a great career story that comes on the back of on the back of your experiences. Could you see the negative impact of racism on your fellow students who are Aboriginal in the school? Could you see the, the price that they were paying for yeah. those attitudes? Yes, definitely. It was that thing for me, the worst thing about it was that I couldn't have pride mm. in my Aboriginal culture. Mm. Um, you know, like I, it was something I couldn't deny, but it was just, I couldn't be proud of it because we were always put down because yeah. of that. And it was really, it was worse if there was a TV show or, or something on the news, you know, about an Aboriginal person had done something mm. wrong because we copped it even more the next day. It was as if we had done the yeah. crime. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. You, you went on to Broken Hill High uh, for your final two years of schooling. Tell us about, tell us about that. Um, well, that was good because while I was there, and I can't remember if it was at the end of year 10 or at the start of year 11, I ran into Mr Brown again yeah. at Menindi. Yeah. And he asked how I went in a school certificate and when I told him, he said, I expect to see you in a teacher's college in a couple of years. Yeah. So that was something that I hadn't thought about. Um, it was like, wow, you know, no one from my family had gone to college or yeah. anything and I was just like... Well, yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, and then so I did, I went to year 11 and 12 at Broken High, as you said. Um, but something also happened in year 11. I remember getting this guest speaker, it was an Aboriginal person, come out to the school who spoke to us Aboriginal students. And it was there that I, I started thinking, why can't I be proud of who I am? You know, I'm not going to let other people dictate what how I can feel. That That's my, only I can say yeah. that. And so that was... From a time then when I changed, and I was very proud of my Aboriginality. Um, yeah, and so that was good. And then, but when I finished school, I was like, there's no way I'm going to do full time study again. Mm. I'm not going to uni. You were done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I did that part of my life. Yeah. But there, so I applied for the um, Aboriginal Rural Education Program, the ARIP MacArthur Institute, and yeah. did a part time teaching 
through that way and um, did two weeks of it, or well, almost two weeks, and the head, um, Lincoln Wood, he was the head of the Aboriginal section there, and he said, why don't you go full-time? Mm. And because I'd had that big break, mm. I was like, yeah, this could be good. You're up for this. So I went, had to have a meeting with the dean and, yeah, went that. So I went home for two weeks and then came back down to start full-time. Yeah. And where was your first teaching post? Burke. <laughs> yeah, so easy slot first up. How did yeah. you find it? It was really good. Yeah. Um, it was really, really good. Um, I, I remember when I first, because I used to, you know, there was, I kept seeing the inspector in Broken Hill. Have you got any jobs? Have you got any jobs? Because yeah. I couldn't get anything first. And then I think he got sick of me. And so he rang another inspector, Dubbo, yeah. and said, I've got an Aboriginal person who wants yeah. to go with his Aboriginal kids. And he was like, do you want to go to Burke? And yeah. I was like, why not? And I got home and everybody at home, by the time I got home, there was a telegram waiting for yeah. me. So old. I am. <laughs> how, how old are how old we, Fiona? I remember them too. Yeah. yeah, and people at home are going, you're not going to take it, are you? Yeah, it was because I, I was being facetious when I said, you know, uh, easy first start at Burke. I mean, Burke would be perceived as a as a challenging yeah, school for a teacher yeah. first yeah. up. Did you find it challenging? No, no, not at all. absolutely loved it. Mm. Um, it was I, – I loved the fact that there were Aboriginal kids. I, you know, wanted to know their families, my – um, sister had a good friend who was there, and she looked after me, um, and and it was it was really good. Absolutely loved it. So I stayed there for five and a half years. And then tell us about your pathway from there to now running this big complex school, <laughs> you know, K through twelve school. We've got relatively few of them uh, at Menindee. So what was your pathway to leadership? So I went from uh, Burke to Broken Hill, and I was at Alma Bugadai Preschool. And then I was there for many years from when it first started mm. and then went to Alma, um, which was a, attached to Alma School, and I got an AP position at Alma. And I was there for two years and then um, went back to Menindee as an AP there. And from there I got, I got a DP position and I did a Stronger Smarter course, which was fantastic because I sort of reconnected with people that I'd known for a long time. So tell, tell us about the Stronger Smarter course. Oh, it was it was just something that happened. It was just the perfect time for me, and it was just made me believe in myself again because I was starting to think, oh, you know, that I couldn't do it. This was just before I got the DP position, and then I reconnected with people who believed in me as well as making me see that yeah, I could do this. And um, and it was then that I decided that I want to be the next principal at Menindee Central School. Yeah. And um, so I went back and told my boss that, and he was quite shocked because I was almost ready to leave the department yeah and um yeah and then I was lucky enough that the principal had um moved in the next six months and I just started the DP position then six months later he'd moved so I went for the um relieving executive principal position um it's a fast rise really you know so you didn't weren't spending long times any of those levels when you finally became principal um, well, well, firstly, tell us tell us a little bit about. Um, I mean, it's a different kind of school, isn't it? A K through twelve school. Just give us a bit of a sense of what it's like, you know, running mm-hmm. a school with you know that range of students in it. Well, I, I, I guess it'd be easier if you just had a primary or a secondary. But like, mm. the the positives of having whole families in there, yeah. you know, where the older ones are looking out for the younger siblings, which. Mostly is good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> can you know? But families can be families. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, so for me, I'm primary trained, so I had to learn a lot about the secondary curriculum, and so that, and yeah. we're also a Wolvandy Access program with the hub school for that. So 
I had to learn about the access program as well. Um, but on the whole, it's it's just good because it's that it's about the whole family group. And how many students do you have? Ninety-three. Right. So it's a small school, but a broad school, and a in a in a geographical area about a hundred k's away from Broken Hill. It's a connected community school, which yep. is a, a feature we have in New South Wales education. How is a connected community school different? Well, I think one of the biggest, thing, well, the most important part of a connected community school is a senior leader position, um, because really, I think they're probably as important or if not more important than the executive principals because they're the conduit between the school and the community. Um, it is their role to be supporting families, to be for, uh, supporting students and also the staff. And I'm lucky enough that our senior leader who was there from when it first started, um, Daniel, also happens to be my nephew, yeah. um, but he's just an amazing person. And I wouldn't have taken the position. When when the um, job came up, I was like, are you staying in the school for a bit because I'm not taking yeah. it, you're not going to stay. You're in that I was going to ask you, so you, you move quickly up through leadership. All of a sudden, you're running the school. Um, you know that community really well. But what are the things that when you become a principal, when you're finally sitting in that seat and you've got that responsibility, what aren't you ready for? What aren't you prepared for? What are the challenges that you have to learn on the job? I think all the like the paperwork <laughs> that's that's probably the the hardest thing and and finding that time for all the emails. So um, the administrative responsibilities yeah, that come that, with the job. That part is probably the part that I least enjoy. Yeah, um, same here. <laughs> but it's it's the people like it, it's working with staff. Um, I guess I'm getting good at seeing talent in people and seeing people's strengths and being able to sort of move them. So are are you a Mr. Brown to students and teachers on your staff? I'd like to think I am. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. One of the tough things I think sometimes about being a principal, and particularly if you've come through the school, is that they were all your peers, right? They're all your friends, your peers. you, You see them around the community. It's not a big town. Now all of a sudden you're the boss, right? And so some of the conversations you'll have to have can be tougher conversations. Mm. How's that switch been like? Well, ultimately, yeah, I might be the boss of the school, but I'm just Fiona Kelly. Mm. Um, and people know me. And, and, you know, like I've already built that relationship with so many of the parents um, and it's something that, you know, I value, that relationship. And um, there's I'm honest and people know they know that. Um, I have lots of people, uh, lots of the parents, if there's something goes wrong, if I'm not there, oh, I'll just wait till Fiona comes back. Because they, they know that that I'm, I, I know their kid and I want to do the best for the student, but also that I'm bound by rules as well. And, you know, I'll be, I'll be quite honest um, with the families. You know, say, like, I've got... When I've had to suspend somebody, you know, like, I've got no choice but to do this now. And, and they're like, I know, I know. We've, we've moved, um, you know, there were some families, you know, like in, in small communities, you always have the factions and that. But we've moved beyond that, you know. It's about, like, once they know you care about their kid, they're, they're going to be supportive of you. And so we've, we've had some students who the slightest thing will ring home and say, this has happened, and we've got it to where her mum will say, well, go and see Fiona, she'll sort it out. Yeah. yeah we talked about high expectations earlier, and, and I think, you know, we know as we look at the data across the state that there's an enormous amount of work that needs to be done about improving the learning yeah. outcomes of Aboriginal children and you know the closing the gap targets in, indicated in a whole series of areas that 
that uh, Aboriginal outcomes for Aboriginal people still remain just far lower than we would expect mm. or we would want. And you wouldn't want there to be any gap at all. Um, tell me about, in a sense, the challenge of imbuing these, um, this school and these families with a sense of high expectations for the learning outcomes of their students. So how are you going about framing those conversations? Well, it's... Look, that started before I actually got into the position, I think. Um, when I went back, first went back to Menindee as the AP, I can remember anything we did, it was like, oh, as long as I have a go. And I, I got so angry and I said, this is ridiculous because whatever they're just having a go or we're accepting something less, these kids aren't going anywhere. They're not achieving anything. Um, and I, I remember saying, I'm sick to death of sitting in an audience and being shamed by Menindee students their performance or whatever they were doing because it wasn't up to the standard of everyone else and so I I said at an exec you know if we do something we do it to do to be as good as everyone else up there if not better and so we started doing that with the students you know started preparing them more um, and started raising those expectations like with our staff when they come on board it's like you know we don't want you to lower our expectations your expectations for the kids just because they're aboriginal or they're from a small country town we want you to have their high expectations but we want you to put the necessary support in so that these kids can achieve the goals that we set for them and it's those conversations that I've had with parents like I you know you could your kid can do better than this and this is what I want. But it's also the, the um, conversations with the students as well. Yeah. Um, and, and are you finding parents open and receptive to those approaches that you're making? Yeah, yeah. Because there's a lot of conversations that go on yeah. before these. And it's, you know, it's all the little incidental um, times that I get to talk to parents that I'll take any opportunity I can. Um, but they know what it's about. And they know that, you know, like, I did it. So what's stopping anyone else from an indie? And we've got a lot of people that have achieved great things that have gone through an indie central. Um, one of the interesting things you've done is you've placed a real priority on attendance. And, and you publish attendance rates in the school newsletter, yeah. right? Which yeah. is unusual, I think, probably around the state. Tell us a bit about that. Well, we just wanted to show, like with a lot of things, I like to be very transparent with the community. Um, but we wanted to show that, you know what, we're doing pretty well but also if we do see laps and people are starting to notice it and talk about it um so i wanted it just in a very simple graph so that anyone who picked it up they could read it and think well we've actually gone down this week you know i wonder why that was you know our whole class or whatever it is and so people are starting to look at that but i think it's because we with the attendance we have rewards excursions as well which is relying on attendance um classwork submitted so you send students to the School Spectacular, right, yeah, in that's, Sydney. Yes. But you can only get there if your attendance yep, is is 85% or more, yep. um, that they've had no negative incidents yeah. um, in the semester before and also um, that they've completed set um, tasks in class. Your high expectations don't just stop at the school gate, though, do, um, do they? I mean, you have this sense of high expectations for students to be able to progress from Menindee Central into training or further learning or into the workplace how are you going about prioritizing you know that ambition and that focus for your students well it, it's something that we do certainly we're getting better at doing um you know so there'll be a focus on from year 10 that the conversations okay what what traineeship are you looking at you know do you one do you want one because there's some kids who, who choose not to have one um and then if you do want one 
where would you like to go? Because we've got to make sure it's in an uh, area that they're interested in because it was something that we didn't do well in the past. So we look at that. Um, and it's about supporting the students um, when they do go there. Like some some kids are just ready to go and they're used to it. But then you, we get other students who are a bit worried because a lot of our traineeships are in Broken Hill um, with a town our size. We There's not that opportunity um, for students to have trainees apart from the health service um, is the only one that we've got oh, and the national parks um, but yeah so we, we need to support the students to be able to go into um, Broken Hill and um, that could be like putting getting them taking them up to get the town bus some you know like the first time we might take them actually into Broken Hill yeah um, and then being there but it's also checking in on them yeah. and and that's a role that Daniel our senior leader will play seeing how they're going and also in the past this year we haven't needed it but in the past we've had to have you know the needed set um, work gear so we'll get that for them help them out on yeah. all of that one of the um one of the first times uh, we met and had a conversation was when you were leading this connecting to country program that the AECG mm-hmm. ran for the department of education executive here in new south wales um and that was a really interesting cultural immersion work for the mm. most senior executives who work in the department. Tell us about your work uh, around cultural immersion programs and why you think that's important for educators to do and to appreciate. Well, like in our um, instance, you know, we're a connected community school with 71% Aboriginal students. It's important that our staff know about our history, our local history. Um, and it's so we, we want them to, so that they can understand where we're coming from, um, why the, we might act the way we do. Um, and, and it's just a great time to learn and to share. Um, so we tell, you know, we have local people telling their stories. And for some of our staff, they've never spoken to an Aboriginal person before. Mm. And I guess it could even be a bit daunting because we do have a lot of Aboriginal yeah. people working at our school. But we want to make it, you know, as relaxing as possible for them but then still giving them that knowledge. And, and a lot of it just comes from conversations. Do you think, if you think of your experience early on in teaching uh, and almost your, even your experience as a student and looking at the work we're doing now, you know, with Aboriginal students and I suppose with, that, with cultural awareness, uh, you know, we make some progress, but we've still got a way to go, do you think? Yeah, I, but I'm, I'm one of those people that we've always got a way to go. Yeah. You know, we can always improve what we're doing. Yeah. Um, but we've, we've certainly have made a lot of progress from certainly my days at school and even when I first started out teaching. Yeah. Um, you know, we're putting Aboriginal education out there. Yeah, and you see amazing things. I remember being at um, high schools on the North Coast and, and, you know, when I was at high school, you know, the languages were French or German. They were learning local Aboriginal uh, language there, all the students mm. taught by uh, elders. Um, you know, we, we need to kind of continue to grab all opportunities we can mm. to for all our students to have a rich understanding of what's happened in, in Australia, not just for the last 200 years, yeah. but for the last 60,000 years. And language is an important part of that too, don't you yeah. think? Oh, definitely. And we actually do um, Barkindji for our um, students and it's been, well, it's been happening for probably for about eight, nine years. And it's been good. wasn't well received when it first started. Um, Why was that? We had non-Aboriginal people saying, well, what's the point of doing this? Um, But they could see the point of doing Japanese or something like that. But also it was even some Aboriginal people, Mm. they didn't didn't want it. And I guess that 
you know, there could have been still some of those feelings from in the old days when they weren't allowed to speak language and, you know, so they, as a way of protecting their kids, you know, people didn't speak it. So I don't know if there's still an element of that there. But we don't have those complaints now um, and we do teach it um, from kindergarten to year eight and it, it's, yeah... It's, it's been running really well in the in the kindergarten and year one class. We do it um, every day in the literacy rotations, the two, three class just starting that. And then the four, five, six, we'll look at having um, a couple of times a week. So you're kind of really running bilingual education in a sense for some of these kids early on in the yeah, like and unfortunately for our language, we don't have a lot of speakers yeah. left. Um, so we're one, our Aboriginal education officer has started. Yeah, um, she's the one who who is now doing it, and you know the driving force in our school. Um, but it's just been amazing to see. Oh. Um, we're almost out of time, but just two two quick questions. Who are the big influences on your career now? We talked about Mr. Brown in years five and six. You're one of our leading educators, but who do you go to for advice and guidance and who helps you as you're wrestling through the complexities of your leadership? My sisters, but also Michelle Hall. Michelle Hall. Yeah. Yeah. Who runs Connected Communities for us and uh, is a formidable uh, <laughs> educational leader and someone who will need to get on this podcast. That's a message <laughs> to you, Michelle, who I know is listening. Just one uh, one final question. Menindee's been in the news, of course. And yeah. so if, if a lot of people didn't know where Menindee was mm. on the map, they, they will after this summer with those terrible fish kills uh, on the Darling mm. River. What's it been like with that kind of, you know, terrible... Um, natural disaster, in a sense, that's been taking place, uh, you know, on the on the footsteps of the, of the town. Oh, like it, it was just terrible, it, you know, just to see people, the well being of people who, for so long, you know, just that was such a big part of their life, um, being on the river and fishing. You know, the Barkindji people, are, the Barker is is what they call it. You know, like the river people, and so to not have that. Um, is just horrible and, and it's really sad to see but you know in all this adversity like we've seen the opposite too we've seen people come together we've seen other communities support us in bringing water and that in so well you know that was shocking for us you know not being able to wash and water and or drink the water and that um, we've seen support from other people so that, you know that's been good for us but like we're resilient mob um, and we'll keep going Fiona Kelly, uh, thanks for being so resilient in your career. Uh, We want to thank uh, great teachers who influenced you and the supporting support that came around you, but your commitment and your determination to be a great leader in our schools. Thanks for all the work you're doing at Menindee Central School and thanks for joining us today on the Every Student Podcast. No worries. Thank you, Mark. And thank you for listening to this episode of Every Student. Never miss an episode by subscribing on your podcast platform of choice or by heading to our website at education.nsw.gov.au slash every hyphen student hyphen podcast. Or if you know someone who is a remarkable innovative educator that we could all learn from, you can get in touch with us via Twitter at New South Wales Education, on Facebook, or email everystudentpodcast at det.nsw.edu.au. Thanks again, and I'll catch you next time.